Hey everyone, and welcome to the Christ Family Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've made the decision to take time out of your day to join us virtually. Whether you're at home right now or listening on your way to work, we hope that you enjoy this week's teaching from Pastor Zachary Fraley. Currently, we are in uh, the last week of our 31 days of prayer. So if you are joining us for the first time or you're just jumping mainstream in or jumping into the stream midstream, um, for the past 31 days or actually 29, we have been focusing on prayer as a church community. Um, We have been asking that the Holy Spirit would continue to grow us into a people of prayer, and it's been wonderful. We've been practicing, uh, uh, let me see, a daily prayer rhythm of morning, noon, and night. We have been um, having our family suppers, soup suppers on Wednesday nights where we come together and we also have a lecture and family time. It has just been wonderful. On Wednesdays, we have 24-hour block of prayer reserved for our whole church, and it has just been a great month. And so today we are ending with this. um, We are ending this time with our sermon, but my hope is that this 31 days of prayer wouldn't just end here, right? We aren't called to just do it while there is a fancy sermon series and a nice graphic, but we are called to be people of prayer every moment, uh, as Paul said, to pray without ceasing, to live in constant communion and communication with God. So as we begin, I'll turn, I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. We're going to start at verse 40 and uh, go through 47. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll always have the words on the screen for you. But I would encourage you, you know, we have paper Bibles in the pews in front of you. There's something different about opening a paper Bible and feeling the heft, the weight of it. So um, we'll be in Acts 2, starting at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I feel like we've heard those words before today. Um, So those who received his word, they were baptized. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple gathering and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number that day, uh, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, and we just come before you, your people, asking that you would speak to us. Um, Jesus, we are in desperate need of your words and your truth, Um, just like the words of Peter there in this crooked generation, Father. Um, We need your truth to help set us straight and to help us walk in the way of Christ. So Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us now. I pray that uh, my words, as failed as they are, would be um, your words. And Jesus, that um, you would speak to your people. Um, Jesus, we just pray that you would open our eyes to receive or to see your goodness. We pray you would open our ears to hear your truth. And Father, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today because you are the most beautiful, most amazing, most valuable thing in each of our lives. It's in the name of Christ we pray. And everyone said, amen. So um, as of this morning, and I say this uh, because I never know if my car is actually going to you know, start up or not. But as of this morning, I am uh, re- very happy to tell you that I have a reliable vehicle. Okay, um, It's a 2008 Prius. I bought it for $3,500 five years ago 
which is a steal today. That is amazing. But the vehicle I drive, it's a modest one, okay? You know, I'm not going to get any looks and people go, wow, look at that vehicle, right? I drive by and people don't even necessarily see me. You know, if I drive in a Tesla or if I were to drive, I don't drive. I wish I did. If, if I were to drive in a Tesla, people would be like, oh, look at that, you know? I drive in a Prius and they're like, ooh, you know, cool. He thinks he's, he thinks he's great because he uses an electric battery and an engine, okay? It's, it's not really, I don't think that way. I'm not that grinning it was just available for me when I needed it. The vehicle I drive, though, it is a modest one. It has great gas mileage, and it has a very few perks. Um, one of them is that it has nice speakers for 2008 standards. Okay, It has a screen in the middle that tells me what my gas mileage is. So if you have a Prius, you're constantly trying to get your gas mileage up. It's this just game you play all the time. And um, other than that, my vehicle doesn't really have any perks. It does its job. We don't take it on long trips because I don't trust it for that. I trust it to get me from Avalon Drive to here, which is about a five minute drive, and that's about it. And because of that, and it's great gas mileage, I really only fill it up every three to four weeks, which is insane. Basically, Winona, which is my beautiful Prius's name, she gets the job done. She gets me from point A to point B. However, I look at the cars today uh, let's take the Tesla for example again. Like I, for some reason, want one. That thing, it has a huge screen on it. You can literally watch Netflix on it. They have games you can play. It has a fireplace that you can just like, not an actual fireplace, but on the screen, you can play the image of a fireplace and just pretend you're warm. It's like, wow, this is great. It has all of these perks. Some can even drive themselves. It can charge at your home or at your work. And you can literally push a button on your phone and have it start to defrost, okay? I had to go and walk out of my house into the cold today to push my Prius on and hope that it would start to get warm, which it didn't, okay? These are all such cool things, things I wish my Prius had. The perks are different for every vehicle, whereas some don't have these perks. However, each vehicle really, perks or not, hopefully it accomplishes its goal to get you from point A to point B, whether that is from work to home, then home to work, or from work to lunch, and then if you're me, you go to 392 real quick, and then you go back um, to get some coffee and see my friends. I could buy a car for the perks, but ultimately, when I look at a car, I realize that it has one goal, it has one purpose, to transport us. This past month, though, we've been looking at prayer, and as always, just so you know, I do pray when I turn on my car every time. I'm like, Lord, please let it start up today. You know, I don't want to have a car payment. But we've been learning how to incorporate daily prayer into the rhythm of our lives and the fabric of our church. We've been asking God to move in our hearts to show us the importance of prayer and to awaken us to what it can do in our lives. And just like with cars, there are many types of prayer, but one goal. There are many different cars, but one goal to transport. There are many different types of prayer, but there's one goal. There's Lectio Divina, there's listening prayer, prayers of intercession, breath prayer, Visio Divina, conversational prayer. There's so many different types of prayer with perks all the same. The Bible even tells us the Holy Spirit interprets our groans. So if you don't have words, just groan to the Lord. And he's like, oh yeah, cool. I see that you're having some struggles with your coworkers. However, just like with vehicles, there's one primary goal with prayer. And I think so many times we don't see the vital necessity for prayer because we see it in a false light rather than what it was meant to be. Because prayer was never meant to be just a laundry list of items that we rattle off to God. Prayer was never meant to just be a confession of sin. I mean, yes, it is those things, but it was never meant to be just that. 
pre-written things, things that we pray or just something that we habitually say before meals or something that we say to start off our meetings. Is it all of those things? Yes. But at its core, the practice of prayer is a practice that leads to life with God. Prayer is the vehicle and the portal through which we live our life with God. It is the portal to life with God the life that we crave in our innermost being, whether or not you identify that as a desire for Jesus or misidentify it as a desire for something else. Prayer is the practice that we see has one goal, just like with vehicles. Vehicles move us from point A to point B, regardless of whether you have a beater or a luxury car. And prayer moves us from point A to point B as well from radical individualism and utter self-reliance instead to union with God, to a life of love, to a life lived radically changed by Christ. And we see this as evident as ever in the prayer that all of us prayed when we started our journey with Jesus. Do you remember that moment, the moment that you prayed and you said, God, I know I am sinful. I know I am broken, separated from you. But God, I also know that you are just, you are beautiful, and you are holy. I believe in Jesus and his work on the cross, and I believe that you died there for me and you rose from the grave, and that same victory over death can be mine, not by anything that I do, but through grace in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, will you save me? Do you remember that prayer that moved you from point A to point B, from unsaved to salvation, from eternity separated from God to eternity and life lived with him in that very moment? That prayer changed your life. Yet so many times after that, we forsake the vehicle that God first used to change our lives. We rarely pray, and we rarely enter into communion, into communication with God. After that prayer, so many in our church relegate prayer to an activity on Sunday instead of an ongoing part of our sanctification and life with Jesus as we are transformed more and more into a Christ-like follower. How do we do this? Because many times we don't see the value in prayer. We see the value in our vehicles, obviously, but we miss the value of prayer that it is meant to bring us into daily communion with God, life lived with him, from a life separated from our loving father to a life lived with God, utterly dependent upon him, a life lived in the love of the Trinity and lived in the outpouring of that love. That's why over the past month, we have pushed and pushed and pushed the daily prayer rhythm because as a church, our goal is to help you live in union with Jesus, just like the goal of the early church was in Acts 2. And uh, my battery just fell out, so you're going to, can you progress, Mitch? The goal is union with Christ, the goal of prayer. The whole point of it is to move us from a distracted life to a deeply life devoted with God. Here in Acts 2, 42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Teaching, fellowship, um, and the breaking of bread and prayers. Teaching, fellowship, prayers, communion. Okay, I feel like we got the teaching part down, right? We have the communion part, the breaking of bread. We do that really well. This church has some of the best cooks I've ever seen in my life, and it's amazing. We um, are all about communion. But prayer seems to be something that many of us, and I'm just saying Christianity in a broad sense, miss from our lives. The early church saw these three things, these four things. And while we have teaching and communion, we also need to be deeply devoted to prayer. Because as the early church did this, their whole life was changed. Their whole way and vision of life was changed. It's prayer is truly our lifeline. Moving forward, how can we be people of prayer outside of a five-week sermon series based on prayer? 
I believe the best way for us to do that is through a few different ways of prayer that haven't been widely taught in the church, but need to come back to the surface. You see, for 1,500 years, um, there was one church, okay? And this is Reformation Sunday, so welcome. If you don't know what that means, I'd love to talk with you about it. And Martin Luther going to the doors and posting the 95 Theses and what that meant as a bunch of uh, Reformed theologians ate and uh, met and ate sausage in a uh, protest to the church and to Linton, things that they did. I would love to talk to you about church history because that's one of my passions. But for 1,500 years, there was one church the Catholic Church. And they taught many wonderful things on prayer. Um, There was a rich prayer life in it. And then the Reformation came. Again, we're at Reformation Sunday. And from that, the Protestant Church came where we have our Dutch Reformed roots. So this church actually traces our roots back to Ulrich Zwingli. However, when we moved and shifted to the Reformation, the Reformed Church, and away from Catholicism, a lot of things changed. Because if anything even looked smelled, sounded like Catholicism, everyone was like, no, we cannot use that at all in our church. There were a lot of positive changes that were enacted in the church, like the teaching that grace comes by faith alone and not from good works. That was a key to the early Reformation. Additionally, the church leadership having oversight, just like Paul prescribes in the New Testament, that was something great that came out of it. A focus on teaching in the church came also as a shift as well as an encouragement for you to read your Bible, not just on Sunday mornings, but at your home Monday through Saturday, more important than even on Saturday, Sunday mornings. There are so many wonderful things that came out of the Reformation. However, some things were lost because they seemed a little bit too Catholic or they reminded us of works. I mean, if you look at our sanctuary today, I don't know if you've been in a Catholic church, but it is very ornate. It has, uh, you know, paintings and everywhere. If you look at our sanctuary today, it actually traces back to Ulrich Zwingli when he said, hey, we don't need all these things in the church. Let's, let's take that all away. And people were like, hey, this is a little too austere. You know, there's, there's nothing in here. That's one of the reasons why our church doesn't have a lot of visual or imagery because of the Reformation. Sadly, though, we lost practices of the early church fathers and mothers that were life-giving to the church in this shift. So today, I want to teach on two ways that we can take our learnings from this past month and use them to continue to propel us forward as people of prayer. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to 2 Corinthians, um, and we'll be starting at verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Praise Jesus. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I believe there's a practice from our past that can help you and I grow in our pursuit as disciples of Jesus. And the first practice from our ancient faith is the practice of contemplative prayer. The label of contemplative prayer, it comes from Paul's writings here, where he says, we with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. In another translation, it says, contemplating God's glory. The word there for contemplating is the Greek word katotrizo in Greek, and it can be translated to gaze at or to behold, um, to behold the glory of the Lord, to direct our inner gaze at, um, of our heart at. Another name for contemplative prayer can be beholding prayer because in it we behold, like Paul said, the glory of the Lord. Glory in the New Testament, it doesn't mean something like fame or celebrity status as it does in the Country Music Awards. Glory to God means his presence and his beauty. 
In the Old Testament, God's glory, it was a cloud over Mount Sinai in the tabernacle. To contemplate God's glory, it's to look at the beauty and goodness of the love pouring out towards you. That is the essence of faith. As A.W. Tozer once said, faith, it's not a once and done act, but it is a continuous gaze of the heart or a contemplative, a contemplation of the heart at the triune God believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It's the lifting of the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at his wondrous person quietly and without strain. Okay, that is a great quote. I'm so glad you brought that up, Pastor Zachary. But how can we look at God? Isn't he invisible, right? I'm glad that you asked that because we look at God through our heart. As St. Theophan of the Recluse put it, he says, to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord, ever present, seeing him within you. St. John of the Cross said, in this kind of prayer, we remain in loving attention to God. This is the most basic act of contemplation, loving attention to our Father and on his love and compassion and goodwill coming toward us as Christ and by the Spirit. Contemplative prayer, it sounds really scary, right? It's, it's this weird word. It sounds cool to say, but it is a scary thing to do. Why? Because in some ways, we see it as a waste of time to just sit and to think of God's glory, to pray with not a lot of words, but instead to think on the goodness of God in our results and productivity-focused world. Sitting and reflecting on God's goodness, it seems like a waste of time. But I want to remind you that the way of God's kingdom, it is different than the ways of this world. God's kingdom is not based on time. It's eternity-focused. God's kingdom, it does not see time spent with God as a waste, but it's the highest call of our lives. As we look at a picture of heaven, and it says all of the angels and the host were surrounded, uh, surrounding God, going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. All of heaven is not concerned about productivity because they realize the first call is to contemplate God's glory and then to live that out. Henry Nouwen, he once called prayer actually wasting time on God. He didn't mean prayer is a waste of time. He meant that in our productivity-obsessed culture, where time is money and money is God, where entertainment and stimulation fill every crevice of our time, to give God your time and loving attention for him to do with or not to do as he pleases, it's wasteful in the eyes of our culture. But like the story of John's gospel when Mary brings the expensive oil before Jesus and pours it out on his feet as an act of love and worship, prayer is the only fitting response to the beauty of who Jesus is. Because again, the main goal, the main thing that we get out of prayer, it isn't different outcomes from God. It's God himself. And as we contemplate God's glory, turning back to 2 Corinthians, we are transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the another. It's the, is there any higher calling in this life for a disciple than to become like Jesus for the sake of this world? I can't think of a higher calling. And the way that we do that is through contemplative prayer. Now, pastors, normally we are very good at, at doing this high-level thoughts and vision up here, but sometimes we fail at giving a practical way for you to actually do it, okay? I am going to attempt to help you in contemplative prayer, um, and I'm just going to share with you my, my approach to it. This is not pre prescriptive in nature. You do not have to do this. It's meant to just be descriptive. This is how I approach it. And in no way am I saying this is how you should practice it. But contemplative prayer comes in many different ways. 
For some, it comes like the monks and the nuns. They called it breathing prayer. For some, it comes through focusing on scripture. More on that in my second point. But for me, it comes through focusing on who God is. In Genesis, after Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands um, to get uh, uh, their handmaiden Hagar pregnant, she bore a child and Sarah dealt harshly with her. And so she ran away. And the angel of God speaks to her and then she becomes the first person ever to give the name of uh, to give a name to God. In seminary, we actually refer to her as the first woman theologian. And in verse ten, it says, "The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be outnumbered for multitude.'" And the angel of the Lord said to her, "Behold, you are pregnant; you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be like a wild donkey of a man; his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him." And he shall dwell over, uh, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. And um, in other translations, it says, "Truly, you are the God who sees me." Now, I don't have time to go into the implications of this and how Abraham's decision to take matters into his own hands is still playing out in our world today with the conflict right now in Israel. However, I want to simply give a reminder that the Bible is a book all about Israel. It's all about her start and her continuance. The Bible starts in Israel. Jesus lived in Israel. Jesus died in Israel. And all of it will end when Jesus comes back to Israel. Okay, we're just going to leave that there. We can talk about it later. But back to contemplative prayer. I will sit in the mornings. I'll sit and I will read two Psalms and I will close my eyes. And then I will just recite verse 13 and my, and my breathing. When I breathe in, I will breathe, you are the God who sees me. And when I breathe it out, I will pray that you are the God who sees me. And I will pray that on my breath, breath in and breath out, I will focus on God, his glory, his love. This is what I normally do on Sunday mornings because I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, okay? And when you wake up that early, you're not in the mood to say a lot of words. However, I just sit alone and I focus on God. And then I sit there for a while present with God and just allow myself to focus on him. And whenever I start to get distracted, I say it again, you are the God who sees me. And it brings my attention back to God. This is not the only one that I do. Sometimes I will come across a verse in Psalm and my reading of Psalm and it will stick out to me and it will allow me and I will allow that to be my prayer. But so many times I just sit and I think on Jesus in my contemplative prayer. There was this priest and he once said, he walked into a church and he saw what he said, a peasant just sitting there and smiling. And he said, why are you so happy? He couldn't understand why this poor man could be so just enraptured and smiling so much. And the man said, I look to him, he looks to me, and we are happy. I think that I have learned the beauty of contemplative prayer even more so with my son. Because he doesn't, he can't say words to me. I say words to him, but, you know, I don't think he understands it at all. I hope that he does, you know, because every parent hopes that their kid is the smartest kid ever, okay? We'll just be honest, right? Banner, you're going to do great things, hopefully. But so many times I just hold him and I just look at him and he looks back at my eyes and we just sit there smiling at each other. And at its heart, that's what contemplative prayer is. Us looking at the Father, looking at us, pouring out the love of the Trinity on us. I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. That's the heart of contemplative prayer to, as Paul said, behold God's glory or to contemplate God's glory. And it is an ancient practice that brings life to Christians, that has brought life to Christians throughout the years. And one that I believe can bring life to your prayer. Looking back to Paul's words, he writes that as we contemplate God's glory, we are transformed into his image. 
in the word there, it's metamorphal. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from, where a, a caterpillar is turned from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And it's the word and word picture for the type of change that is possible with Jesus and only through Christ. In Paul's framework, the core of this change, though, it's contemplation. It's looking to God himself. The Singaporean writer, Hui Tan, said, you are what your mind looks at. You are what you contemplate. In this day and age, actually, Barna Group did a study, and it said that young millennial Christians spend 3,000 hours a year taking in digital content, but only 100 hours of that is actually focused on the Bible. You become what you contemplate. There's so many things for us to fix our attention on, but what better thing is there than to fix our eyes on God's word and his promises and truth? Think about it. People who spend hours every day watching or reading angry political news, they tend to become angry, politically radicalized by ideology. People who spend hours every day scrolling on Instagram and Twitter tend uh, tend to lean and become angry, anxious, or emotional. People who spend hours every day watching dirty TV tend to become lustful and addictive. We become what we gaze upon, and uh, whether that is TV or the Trinity, therefore the yellow line down the middle of the pathway to become like Jesus is to look at Jesus. One way we do that, though, is through reading Scripture, especially the four Gospels. Speaking of Scripture, the other practice that I would like to equip you with is one called Lectio Divina, and um, if you'll progress that slide one, there we go. It sounds high churchy. Again, if the reformers heard it, they were like, wow, this sounds very Catholic-y. Let's cut that out of our lives, right? That's why the reformers moved it. But bare bones, Lectio Divina, it means a divine or spiritual reading. It's a practice where you open your Bible to a verse or a few, and you read it a few times, and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, maybe illuminate a particular word or phrase or idea to you. It's different from a Bible study because in a Bible study, we ask, what did the text mean to them then, and how can we apply it to our life? Lectio Divina instead asks, how is God coming to me personally in this text? But you have to be careful, again, not to manipulate the Bible or to allow the enemy, the deceiver, to manipulate the Bible as he tried to do with Jesus in the desert. We are not asking for a new meaning. We are not asking for something unfound before like the Gnostics did. We are asking for what aspect of the original meaning the Holy Spirit is wanting to directly impress in our own life. This way of reading the Bible, it has become an earphone to God's voice for countless followers of Jesus throughout the ages. It has been the single staple in the Christian faith for so long, and it was instituted by St. Benedict in the 6th century. However, it is a simple way of reading Scripture and praying through it as well. You read through Scripture three times, and in between those times, you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you or illuminate something in that verse. Simply put, it's a way to meditate on Scripture and to contemplate God's goodness. I remember when I first learned about it, it was during my first semester of seminary. My professor, Dr. Inskor Essek, he would start every class and he would just read a verse three times over and over and over again. And then we'd talk about, hey, what, did, what came up in your heart? What word did you focus on? And it was an amazing way. It changed my relationship with scripture. So many times as a pastor, when I open my Bible, I approach it thinking, God, what do you want to speak to your people this Sunday, right? So many times when I open my Bible, I'm thinking, what can I learn so that I can teach it to your people, Jesus? Lectio Divina, instead, it says, it comes to the text and it says, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. And if you didn't hear it the first time, guess what? There are two other times for you to listen to. It gives space if you give time and it slows you down. If you are stressed and distracted, normally that comes into our prayer life, but 
through Lectio Divina and pausing for a moment, it allows you to focus on the word of God. And as the Japanese theologian Kosuke Koyami called it, adjust ourselves to the speed of love. And I believe Lectio Divina is one of the greatest tools in our modern world that can bend us out of the productivity focused of this world into the goodness of God. This is one of the ways that we can continue to grow into people of prayer as we disciple under Jesus. And I believe this is one of the most effective ways for us to contemplate God's glory as we sit under his words and his teaching, as we open the word of God and allow it to speak to us here and now. Remember, prayer is a vehicle that is meant to take us from point A to point B, point A where we are unaware of God and bring us into an acute awareness of God, bringing us from separation to union, from sinful to righteous, from being a disciple of this world, ridden with anxiety, fear, and worry, to instead becoming an apprentice of Christ who is unfazed by the storms of this world because our life is built on the rock of Christ. This week for my midweek update, I'll actually send out a practical example of Lectio Divina as well. So if you would like to participate in that, you can email tfox at christfamilychurch.org. She can uh, sign you or get you um, in that uh, weekly email chain. Sorry, guys. Sleep deprivation tends to, you know, uh, come in and make me not able to talk very clearly. But if you have Spotify, there's also a thing called Daily Lectio Divina on there. And um, I even encourage staff, like as they're driving into work, to just play that and to focus on God's word. It is a wonderful tool and a wonderful way to approach scripture. Now, this Sunday, we are not singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God, sadly. However, I do have a quote from a Dutch theologian of the Reformation, and his name is Herman Bevink. And he said, Holy Scripture is not an arid story or an ancient chronicle, but it is the ever-living, eternally youthful word which God now and always issues to his people. It is eternally ongoing speech of God toward us. When we open the word of God and allow God to speak to us, I believe coupled with prayer, that a believer that does that will be unstoppable. To bring this to a close in our sermon, the ultimate goal of all of this is not to have a church where uh, people are like, oh yeah, you're the church that prays, or to tell people, yeah, sorry, I have to go do my morning, noon, and night prayer. Uh, More than anything, this month has been driven by a desire from our leadership to see our church continue to grow as people of love, because that's what prayer mostly is, the medium through which we learn to rest in Jesus's love. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established of love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how deep, how long and how high is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of that, to the fullness of God. This type of prayer, it's how you and I are filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What the saints called his loving light, what St. Teresa of Avila uh, called this type of prayer, silent love. And St. Augustine said, true whole prayer, it's nothing but love. In this modern world we are in, where so many people live in a chronic state of fatigue because of our over-focused um, performance-driven culture, this type of prayer, contemplative prayer, resting and receiving the gift of his love for us, receiving our identity as well as love, sons and daughters of our Father, and then offer, offering that back to God as our worship, it is our lifeline. I pray that this month, as we have uh, ventured into 31 days of prayer with this prayer rhythm, I pray that you have grown in your capacity for prayer, but also your appreciation for it. It's not, not the dry thing our culture has come to view it as, but it is truly our lifeline as Christians. 
The whole desire of this has been to help you see the value of prayer and to help you inch closer to what Paul called prayer without ceasing, living there. What A.W. Tozer called constant communion with God. What Madame Guyon called a continuous inner abiding, looking at God, looking at you in love. Can you imagine a more compelling and beautiful life? If you ache for that kind of life, I want you to start right where you are. Begin slowly, humbly, by being with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your life and your love. We thank you for Jesus' action on the cross. And Father, we thank you that through that action on the cross, we not only have a new life, but we can have a relationship with you. A relationship spurred on by Jesus' action on the cross. And Jesus uh, completed when your Holy Spirit came to dwell within us. So Father, help us not to just um, view prayer as this dry and arid thing, but truly as our lifeline as Christians. Um, Father, help us to view prayer as our highest call um, in living a life with you. Father, we thank you so much for this venue, this way that we can talk to you. And we thank you that there is an assurance that when we pray, you hear our words. And we end our service, we end this with the words of Jesus saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as you forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, again, we hope that you enjoyed that teaching from Pastor Zachary and being a part of what God is doing here at Christ Family Church. If you'd like to come visit us in person sometime, we meet every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. And if you'd like more information on our church, you can head over to ChristFamilyChurch.org. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.